0: Ultimately, it's all about the customer. And I think sometimes businesses forget that and they maybe focus on what looks cool, what's trending or even what their competitors are doing. But I think the focus needs to come right back to the target audience. Who is the person that you're trying to engage?
1: Hello and welcome back to Marketing Trek, the podcast from professionals with a passion for marketing and communications. Carl, you know what? All this way through this season, that doesn't get any better, does it? Anyway, this is the podcast where the best minds in the industry explore the hottest trends in marketing and discuss the pitfalls companies and professionals need to avoid. My name is Dominic Hawes. I am the Group Chief Executive Officer at Selby Anderson, which is a fast, fast growing marketing services group. Last week on Marketing Check, we explored the ever-evolving direct-to-consumer sales model. In the show, I met with Dan Ellis from Orchid, and we talked about how e-commerce is shifting practices from a B2B perspective. And I also spoke to Jerry Hopkinson, CEO of Selby Labs, about the key principles for how business can grow their e-commerce. I also sat down with marketing and communications pro Yukami Utaru, and we talked about why digital is never going to replace human-to-human interaction when it comes to business. If you haven't already listened to it, please do. Go back, have a play. Again, it's a great, great episode, and, and the guests had some really good things to say on today's episode of marketing trek we are tackling one of the hottest topics in marketing right now how do you find the balance between utility and magic you know in marketing i think we tend to be pretty polar and right now this is how the debate goes. Some people are saying it's all about the brand, it's all about brand marketing. You need things that gonna make you stand out, there's a recession coming, use brands, you'll get excess share of voice, etc. And then the other view, of course, is the inverse, which is that in times like these, it's all about performance marketing, or what we call utility. You need results now. You need to be able to demonstrate those results or you're not going to be taken seriously. And by the way, with the recession looming and global uncertainty, you know, magic, it's okay, but it's less important when you look at the bottom line. That's a a very, very simple summary of the arguments. But as marketers, how do we find a balance between utility and magic? Because it's not all one thing or the other. So to find out, I figured I needed to speak to some experts. Later in the episode, I meet Yukemi Utaru, who's a great friend and is also an expert in marketing strategy. She's got a lot of incredible insight when it comes to the importance of utility and why prioritizing the needs of customers really, really has to take center stage. But first, I spoke with Robert Sr. He is chair of Boys and Girls Advertising in Dublin. He's a board member here at Selby Anderson. He's a board member and investor at Castore Sportswear. He is an investor with Red Rice Ventures. He was the worldwide CEO at Saatchi and Saatchi. And he has an incredible understanding of magic in marketing and how to communicate your message in a digital world this episode, I learn how in marketing, as Robert says, wherever there's mystery, there's margin. And Robert tells us why understanding the context in which a customer receives your message is absolutely key. But first, I asked Robert what his interpretation of balancing utility with magic is and why both are so critical for
2: marketers. Let me start with the theory um, because it's, it, when the, when the question is posed, as you've just posed it, it's very, it's a bit like when a client says, can I have an ad please? And you go, well, what's the business objective? No, no, I need a really good ad and that's going to drive my business. And you have to, go, no, 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 we have to go back to source. If it's going to be really good, it'll be good for a reason. And the thing about utility and magic is it's a little snappy soundbite, a polarity, if you like. What it actually does, it's a descriptor of leadership, in the broadest sense of the word. Um, and if you believe that brands, the reason brands can command a premium is that they're in some shape or form, a thought leader within its, within their category. That takes them from a, brand, a commodity to a brand. And, it, uh, and and if you look at the concept of leadership, and if you do go back to the ancient Greeks, which I know you would do regularly, Dom, um, you, you, the first, the expression was first used defining leadership of, um, it was broken in between uh, prose and poetry. So, governing is prose, campaigning is poetry. Okay. That was the Aristotle, I believe, at a Genesis. And it's been used nicked loads of times since, as you can imagine. So, if you imagine campaigning is poetry, take Boris Johnson, a natural lyricist, for want of a better term, or ly- lyrical. Um, And he was a brilliant campaigner, actually, because he just had that sense of reductionism and and, and getting something memorable out there, however boneheaded it might have been intellectually. It was compelling. Prose is about governing. And if you want to be a leader, you have to be able to do both. You can't just rely on one, as we've discovered from Mr. Johnson, you have to actually have some sort of, in their case, political narrative and a plan of action to shift the dial from A to B. Because your campaign has been one of change. We're going to, if you, vote, if you vote for me, something will happen. I'll go from A to B. But without the pros, it's never going to happen. And that's the essence of leadership in business, as in politics, as in, in any walk of life. Uh, it, it's a theory. Uh, and, and I think that utility and magic is a similar kind of principle. It's You have the magic, do the poetry, do the, do the campaigning fabulous for a brand to go out there and the, this is what we believe in and, and have some vis- visual metaphor for whatever it is believe in. And it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. But if that's all they do, and they don't actually deliver with their, if it's a service brand with their actual service proposition, or if it's a brand you buy off the shelves, if your if you if you distribution, your supply chain management and your basic nuts and bolts and the operation of the business doesn't work, you won't sell hmm. stuff. So you can create a load of demand and you won't... So your business is, is, is well, polite versions, a bit doomed. Yeah. That is why both is needed in business, in political leadership. But then if you look in brand management and comms, it's exactly the same. There's no point, I think, in a feckless, empty promise if there isn't some kind of delivery. So what's in it for me? The classic case of, you know, the response to a politician, yeah, 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 but what's in it for me? Well, the same with the brand. Oh, that's brilliant. You've just chucked 30,000 beautiful bouncy balls down the streets of San Francisco to launch the Sony Bravia television with the endline Colour Like No Other. And you've got Jose Gonzalez tracks singing The Colours Red and Blue, blah, 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 blah. Beautiful. But is, is the telly any good? You know, and so you you can't have, you you can't just be one without the other. Bill Birnbach said nothing, Bill Birnbach of DDB in the United States, an absolute legend in in advertising back in the 60s, he said, um, nothing fails faster than good advertising for a bad product. Um, and, 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 and so, so it continues. So when we're working out comms plans, particularly in today's kind of cross-channel multifarious world, I think it's very important to say, yeah, have I got, have I got my, um, performance marketing in place and have I got my metrics sorted and can I read it? And then is it in real time? And is it, you know, everything I want it all. I want it all. I want to be able to produce dynamic content on the fly and change backgrounds depending on what country I'm in, depending on what, what's happened in the news agenda, depending on what the weather is, oh, all of that. I need all of that. But I also need an idea. I also need some of the poetry, some of the magic that can in some way carry the audience. I mean, one of the golden rules of of art, actually, apparently, I'm told, is um, the less you understand, the more beguiling it is. Uh, And if you think about art that you really like, often there's a sort of, there's some sort of leap somewhere that invites you to finish the sentence. Uh, And, there's, there is it's a, slightly, it's a slight stretch on this logic, but I do believe that the, in advertising, in comms generally, if you spoon feed something that's been algorithmically sourced and then you just play it back, it's the equivalent back in the day of doing a TV ad where you just hold up a mirror to the audience and have them look like they look and speak like they speak and expect things to change. It just isn't the case. It just isn't the case. You still need an idea. You still need some creativity. You still see, need a kind of double take moment. Uh, and then you still need that moment of, I just didn't quite get that. A drumming gorilla for Cadbury. But I don't see a bar of chocolate. I see no one eating it. <laughs> I don't see any of the eating experience. All I get is a drumming gorilla to an, a Phil Collins soundtrack. He's been waiting for this moment all of his life. Uh, 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 and then and then a, a title that says... Um, Glass and a half full productions. What the hell? But actually mm-hmm. under scrutiny, if you keep peeling that onion, if you just keep going, you, eventually you get to actually, he's just going for it. Yeah. It's what he bloody wanted. It, it's actually what it feels like with chocolate. And, and if you really want something and, and, and then it over delivers, and this not only is the gorilla out the cage, he's playing the drums. You know, that's the ultimate sort of satisfaction. Um, but it really wasn't about that. It was much more about a generosity of spirit. And, and, um, and bringing some mystery, a piece of film that people actually want to see again. So, so, you know, you, 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 you know, and if I, if I pull it back to digital brands and the, and the kind of the, 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 what, what up until very recently were the great heroes of the stock markets, the the Netflixes of this world or or whoever, um, they, they all work on, on the premise uh, where there's mystery, there's margin. They just are. Software brands, SaaS businesses, where there's mystery, there's margin. Same in comms, same everywhere. Where there's mystery in the communication, there is payback. Just really hard to, write, to, to define it and model it. So, so it's the opposite, it's the intuitive end of the scale, not the mathematical end of the scale. But you need both together, in, certainly in today's world. I love that statement. Where there's mystery, there's margin. It really plays
1: to the importance of magic, and I think it's very powerful and very useful for marketers. It made me think a little bit about that show, The Apprentice, because in the show, Alan Sugar is always insisting on utility. Put the brand in front. Put the brand in front of the camera, and and being very simple and clear in the messaging. And so, actually, I wanted to put that thought to Robert,
2: uh, and this is what he said. Funnily enough, I was on The Apprentice as the as the person really? judging the or commenting <laughs> on the ads after the event. I mean, did ago, you say it's all utility? Was, There's no magic. It's no, garbage. I no, no, I didn't. I no, I didn't. But 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 what I would say in his case is that's where precision is really important. Precision. When you talk about utility and magic, they're not blunt instruments. They're very sharp tools that you use forensically. So in Alan Sugar's in the, the Prentis thing, if you watch the, the the every single year, it's got the same thing in common. They're launching new brands. Okay. And when you're launching a brand, it is essential to get the footprint in the sand really heavily. Okay. Particularly if you're selling them on the shelves. Okay. Um, and so that's where his thing about branding um, will come in. And to a degree, he's right. He overcooks that yeah, yeah. particular one, but it's, it makes for good telly. Yeah. Next, in the light of what's going on globally with
1: financial markets and all that kind of stuff you know, there's pressure, all of us have got budget pressure. So I wanted to ask Robert how marketers can make the case for investing in magic to their CFOs or bosses, especially, you know, when we live in a time where KPIs are all important. And, you know, there's that whole, you know, what you can't measure doesn't matter sentiment. So let's hear what Robert had to say about that.
2: Well, I think um, it's a case that's that's written, being written all the time. It's almost like, it's like the Sydney Harbour Bridge being painted. You never stop making the case because every three years, a new generation of CFOs and, and board <laughs> members and this and that. And then, then there'll be another financial headwind and it's the easiest thing to cut. And so people are, are cutting because we're all going to quote unquote, share the pain. And then in good times, we'll come back. Unfortunately, when the good com- times come back, it, then you have to start the whole argument again, because it's counterintuitive. It's exactly the opposite. It's, you know, if you're a really funny person and my job is to make sure everyone knows I'm funny. And if everyone knows I'm funny, we're all going to be famous and we're all going to be rich. Then the impulse to, for everybody is to say, just tell me you're funny. Yeah. Whereas the job of marketing is to tell a joke. And then people go, God, it's funny. Uh, happy days. It's just human nature. It's, it's so counterintuitive, the difference between um, input and out, takeout what you say versus what people hear and therefore do with your information. So you'll never, you'll never stop making that case. And all, all you, everyone always seems to do is go, what brands does my audience, the CFO, the CEO, the shareholders, the analysts, whoever it is we're talking to, what brands do they really respect and kind of aspire to be? Now let's use them as our case study, for example, of here's what they spend on brand marketing and here's what they spend on YouTube. The truth of the matter is, I, 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 find it difficult a uh, performance marketing is one thing, but, but uh, launching a product should be every bit as, there should be as much magic as that, as anything. Yeah. But, but you know, it doesn't have to be therefore permission to be boring. So Robert and I have been talking
1: a lot about the importance of magic. And so far we've referenced television shows or ads that were made specifically for the small screen, but in the age of social media, what about the handheld screen? How important is context and how important is where the
2: customer is seeing your material? If you're selling cars and you have the technology to send someone a message, an outbound message on their mobile phone, as they're passing a Honda garage to say, if you keep driving for another minute, there's a fantastic deals at Toyota. You do it. You do it. It's just smart. Because in that context, in the moment, it's relevant. The problem with 90% of marketing is that it forgets that it's not, and people aren't waiting for, to hear from this particular brand. The context, There's no contextual thinking involved. And and I would argue that we're a more connected day, a more com- connected world in the world of comms than it's ever before through sheer dint f- of accessible technology and people's use and relationship with their screen. I mean, for, 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 among other reasons, uh, and so it, it'd be crazy not to use that, but use it for the bit it's good at. Don't try and shoehorn everything into one format, uh, and assume that because you've done it, it therefore would be good. And so, just being really smart and making choices, and often the choices are what not to do rather than what yeah. to do, depending on where you are in the in the in the whole in the whole kind of. um purchasing cycle, if you like. I mean, there's been in the, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, there was a decoupling in production terms. So you had the agencies start, didn't sit at the top table, increasingly they were marginalised out. As the clients started to realise that they wanted, it was too opaque, the production processes, it was, felt like it was too expensive, it felt like it took too long, it felt like they weren't in control. And as digital started becoming a legitimate um, platform, um the traditional agencies were very slow to adopt that and embrace it. And it was always, an it felt like an afterthought, just at the time when these shiny new digital agencies were appearing. And actually, you could do an awful lot of stuff. And social was the, if you weren't in social, you're were a loser. You know, if you remember those <laughs> days, if you didn't have a, you know, if you were out there on Twitter as Mars bar, you, your brand was going to die. It was absolutely nonsense. However, what wasn't a nonsense was, yes, this is a channel that your target audience, your, your customers, your audience are, are, have a relationship with. And if you have a relationship with them on any sort of level, you should be at least cognizant of the nature of their relationship. And is, there, is it relevant? There might be times when it's relevant to speak to them on that channel, but don't just do it for the sake of doing it. That was a decoupling. Since then, the world has proliferated so exponentially exponentially. That for the client to do that, they'd have about forty-three different relationships, and the flow of information between back and forth, back into into them, they it's just drive you insane. Actually, just not doable. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, the technologies are, are, are more uh, affordable, accessible to actually co- connect everything and collect everything and use data flow in a, in a seamless way that can start to give really practical insight and direction to what messaging, what nature of messaging we should be serving up where. And so it's, it's often pitted as a war between algorithms and, and, and the coloring in department, Uh, uh, but actually isn't technology is there as a tool, just as the coloring in department is there as a tool. And if they coalesce and come together, they're unbelievably powerful. Um, but they need, but everyone needs their space and their oxygen and their their room to play their best. This is a sports analogy, you know, play in position. In the current climate, marketing
1: is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that please leave us a review. It would mean so much. As I got to the end of my time with Robert, I asked him whether brands can damage themselves if they only focus on in-house creative. You know, in-housing is a big trend. And with, you know, finances tightening, one might expect to see that increase. So when someone does in-house and effectively only exist in, in an echo chamber, rather than using an agency where, you know, your agency team will have loads of other influences, whether that be other clients or their pitching,
2: you know, um, agencies are generally information sponges. And, and here's what he had to say. I mean, there are examples of brands that don't, you know, the brands that that serve up an idea that comes from the creative agency and say, I'd like you to transpose this idea into as many formats and as many places in the right time and the right cost, et cetera, as possible. And so particularly global brands. So it's an easier way to out, out not outsource, but to, to export ideas and then make them culturally yeah. applicable and relevant, um, uh, et cetera. So I can see great value. And there's some good examples domestically as well. Specsavers have an in-house agency. They do great work. Yeah. Channel 4 has had an in-house agency since inception, I believe, and they do superlative work. But there are plenty of other examples where the, where the, where it's, it, it, the, the utility eclipses any magic, however well-intentioned. And and it'll be to, in my opinion at least, the, to the detriment of the brand equity and then the brand value, and then the share price ultimately. Um, I, I, and I think it's pretty dangerous. Um, it's like I don't know. It's like uh, Izzy's bigger than Tumsy's, isn't it? In the sort of <laughs> mad rush of, in <laughs> the mad rush of cost cutting, yeah, you right. find yourself commoditizing your brand. You know, death by a thousand cuts. Uh, and it's very, very dangerous, but it is possible to do well. The only discriminant, the, the, the difference there is channel four, as an example I cited, ha- is a creative culture. It is a pioneering, brave, you know, agenda setting at its best creative force. Yeah. Uh, and therefore people who join channel four who say, yes, I'd, I'd like to, to work at channel four are going there for much bigger reason than because someone's willing to pay me. Yeah. Whereas, creative people or people who have creative in their title, at, in their job, who find themselves working for a, a, another client company in their offices in, you know, Bingley, um, are probably doing it because someone's offered them a job to do it. Yeah, uh, And it'll show, and that will show in the work. So the quality of talent, is one it's still you know we're in the talent business we the broader sense of marketing and i'd include code writers in that but we are in the talent business and the ones that will win will have the better talent it's that simple wow you know
1: robert thank you so much i love spending time with you and chatting to you about this stuff because you speak with such clarity and you know wonderful insight there thank you very much for joining me on the show this is just a reminder you're listening to marketing trek powered by selby anderson my final guest on today's show is Yakemi Otaru. Now, Yekemi uh, has become a great friend over the last couple of years, and we have been doing quite a lot of work with her business. She's a co-founder of a business called Dokaru, with the amazing Sarah Downs, and the two of them are a uh, force to be reckoned with. Uh, Yekemi, Nigerian-born serial entrepreneur, she actually uh, was named earlier this year Chancellor of the University of the West of Scotland, um, so actually I think probably I should be calling Yakemi Doctor by now, uh, but anyway, she's an expert in marketing and marketing strategy, um, So I wanted to speak to her to hear um, her view on this, because I think she had a very slightly different take on balancing utility and magic. Um, And her starting point was to make clear that utility shouldn't be forgotten when it comes to marketing.
0: I'm Yekemio Otaru. I'm based in Aberdeen, Scotland. I've lived in Aberdeen for about 17 years. I'm Nigerian originally, and I've come from an engineering background and I ended up in marketing about 11 years ago. So as a marketing professional and now actually a small business owner, I do have quite clear views about utility and magic. I deal a lot with companies that have a technical background. So either they're IT or manufacturing or energy or engineering. And it's really, useful to understand how utility and magic play a role in really identifying what the sweet spots are for these companies, understanding their target audience and the danger of being too magical, actually, in some cases, and the risk of having no utility, which could actually just completely cripple what you're trying to achieve as a business. So the
1: first question I pose to you, Kami, when it comes to balancing utility and magic is how do you choose which to lean on in any given situation? Uh, and this is what she had to say
0: Ultimately, it's all about the customer. And I think sometimes businesses forget that and they maybe focus on what looks cool, what's trending or even what their competitors are doing. But I think the focus needs to come right back to the target audience. Who is the person that you're trying to engage? And not just what industry are they in, but their job title, what are they responsible for? When they come to the office in the morning or start work in the morning, what are they preoccupied with? What are they trying to achieve? What kind of outcomes would they like to have at the end of their day, at the end of the month, at the end of? the year. And I think ignoring that makes it really difficult to pull them in beyond, say, just glimpsing over your content, right? So if we start from objectives, if your first objective is awareness, so you just want people to be aware that you exist. And that is a good objective, especially if you are a startup, for instance, and you've just launched into the marketplace, generating awareness for your brand is going to be one of your top priorities. And I think that's in- more important than getting any leads because they have to know you first and you have to build trust. So if awareness is your objective, then I would argue that magic is probably going to be the predominant one when it comes to generating awareness. You're not necessarily trying to get them to click and buy anything. You want them to know that you're out there and what your value proposition is. And then after the awareness stage, you start looking at the consideration stuff. Now you're talking to someone who's aware of you and they've maybe got a challenge that you could solve, but there's a hundred ways they could solve that challenge. And maybe they have been trying different ways of solving this problem over time. So you turning up on the scene is not necessarily going to make them click because they have to consider all their options. For instance, if you are, say, an IT company, they may have been considering how they can solve their IT problem. And that might be, should we hire an IT manager? Should we outsource this IT uh, function? Should we upskill our staff so they can maybe be able to solve this challenge for us? So we'll have a few different things that they're considering. And there you need a little bit more of that utility piece where you are providing content possibly that is showing them some of the pros and cons as unbiased as you can be comparing the different options and giving them really an honest view of what they can expect with the different options that they have before them and then you maybe come to the decision stage right so you've got awareness consideration at the decision stage they're ready to buy so they've decided that they're going to outsource this IT function for instance they've decided we're not going to hire someone in we're not going to upskill staff going to outsource the IT function. At this stage, it's really about those case studies. There's a little bit of magic required as well, just to give that warm, fuzzy feeling that they're making the right decision, choosing you instead of maybe your competitors out there, some data to support the fact that you are the right option, providing some demonstrations, showing some stats, and just giving a sense of credibility is going to be really crucial within this kind of decision stage. So there are quite a few things to consider when it comes to balancing utility and magic. But I think starting with the customer, starting with what you want to achieve, are you trying to make them aware of you? Are you trying to make them consider a set of options that gives you a chance of being picked? Or finally, are you trying to be the best option among similar options?
1: I think it's an interesting point. You came these words here that you need to use what the customer says as your North Star when balancing utility and magic is kind of important. You know, we all know we have to put the customer first. We all know we have to put ourselves in the position of the customer to understand where uh, we should be going. And we all, I hope, also know, as Richard would say, you are not your customer. Uh, So that's quite a hard thing to do. Um, But to win customers, you need to think about their needs and wants. When you do you're inevitably taking those customers off someone else unless you're working in a very, very new and growing market. And by churning customers off someone else, you're probably creating margin pressure. So I wanted to know from you, Kami, if there are any particular mixes of utility and magic in how a company markets itself that can help defend or protect margin. And, and this is what she had to say.
0: I think margin is such a tricky one, isn't it? Because there's really a race to retain margin. As you start to do competitive replacement and take market share from your competition, it does mean that your marketplace becomes commoditized to some degree where it's like a race to the bottom. So I'm not a huge fan of that, the race to the bottom around price. I think that there's an opportunity though to make new markets and i think that's where margins can really start to grow when you start creating new markets right so it would be like going into an industry for instance that hasn't traditionally used certain kind of technology or seen things a certain way and start creating that whole awareness so you're not focusing so much on the decision side of things which is people who are like yeah they know what they want and just want to buy it they can be quite price sensitive and they might even be prioritizing price over even things like quality it just depends on the industry and what it is that you're selling and i think there's an opportunity for companies to start creating their own marketplaces. And the more you can do that, and the more you can have a unique value proposition, the more you can really, well, I dare say, charge what you want to some degree. The slight caveat to that is if you are successful with that, then be ready to be copied by your competitors or just new entrants into the marketplace. So one of the pressures of creating new markets as an ongoing strategy or as part of a normal kind of business plan is that you sort of have to keep doing it to keep on top of the marketplace place because the moment you take your eye off the ball, someone's gonna say, Well, they they did that went into pharmaceuticals and oh gosh, they really they got in there and it really worked. Let's do that. And so you almost have to always be creating. And it's exciting, especially if you, you are a company that has a culture that is entrepreneurial, it can be quite excited, but I'm guessing that it can wear one out quite a bit. And just to constantly be thinking of new ideas and new markets to enter can be quite tough. But yeah, it's definitely a strategy that has worked for many, many companies. I know that sometimes it's quite difficult as a business, especially from a marketing perspective, to provide value to your audience and entertain them at the same time. And that's kind of the utility magic there, especially if you're trying to do it in one piece of content or with one website, it can be quite difficult. And so I just want to urge people that are creating their marketing plans and their strategies to always go back to the customer and look beyond their current job and look at what else is going on with them. I call it the so what question when we're developing value propositions, because ultimately people looking to buy maybe a piece of kit or a service but there's something more they're not just looking to buy something there's the bigger purpose under it so for instance if i'm looking to hire a graphic designer and i'm talking to a recruiter and i want to hire a graphic designer yeah i want to hire a graphic designer but the deeper thing there is i want to include graphic design as part of my business one of the things i offer as a business because i'm looking to grow revenue or it could be that i don't want to outsource our brains anymore. I want to bring it into the business. And there's something there around competitive advantage. I would urge people to look at what's that deeper reason why a customer would want to take on a product or a service. And once you can nail that, then you can apply the right magic rather than just any magic that's trending at that particular moment.
1: So I then wanted to know from Yukami whether there was a way of measuring something as intangible as magic. And you know what? Yukami's answer might just surprise you.
0: I think What you can measure is really hard to prove that it's valuable and it's really hard to improve on it. It's really hard to say that it's working. And I think that's been the challenge of a lot of marketers over the years is really being able to show that they're making impact and that what they're doing is actually bringing results. So I would say that we're not there yet in terms of fully measuring the magical side of marketing, but we're going to keep trying. And I think that there are ways to measure it. And it might not be the sort of measurements that we're used to as a corporate. Worlds where we're measuring set numbers and its percentages and so on. But there's tools, for instance, where you can measure things like sentiment, for instance, as an example. And I think there's going to be more and more innovation around how to get a sense and wrap our arms around this magic and provide some kind of a unit for this. And I'm, I'm expecting to see more and more tech around measuring magic over the next few years.
1: So my conversation with Robert and Yakemi has made me really consider utility and magic almost like two crucial organs in the body of a business. So I ended my fascinating chat with Yakemi by asking her whether the head rules the heart or the heart rules the head.
0: Oh, gosh. Head reeling heart, I would go for. I think it depends on the kind of person you are. I think for me, because I'm quite logical in terms of things need to make sense and structure and analytical that way. It's usually my head first and then I check with my heart that this feels okay. It feels like the right thing to do rather than the other way around. I do wrestle sometimes with that because there are situations where the heart just wants something that might be completely different from the head. And in those situations, I tend to go to people in my life, could be colleagues or friends and get a sense of what they think, especially if I know that the heart rules for them, I get a different perspective from them.
1: And How does that inform how you go about marketing on behalf of your clients?
0: Well, it it informs the sort of questions that I ask them and that I ask myself. So straight away, it's about what are you trying to achieve? So I'm sure you've been in a situation, Dom, you sit down with someone and they have all these amazing ideas, they want to do TikTok or they've got amazing ideas around their brand colors and oh, they're just excited about this campaign and a bunch of videos that they want to do. And that's all great. But in my head, I'm literally going, why are you doing that? What are you trying to achieve? What's this going to do for you? How do you know that your target audience is going to be interested in this? Do you have. and he starts to support what you want to do, talking about brand and colors and things like that, which people don't really think deeply enough about. In your industry, have you looked at what your competitors are doing? That's exactly the same color as most of your competitors. You want to use a different color maybe. Those are the kind of questions that I will be asking and pointing them, not in a different direction, but at least making sure that they're making conscious and deliberate decisions that bring in a little bit of that utility and not just all about the magic. Also, I know from being an engineer that too much magic just feels like really fluffy and it actually really puts off a highly technical mind because they just feel like you're using this to cover up the fact that there's nothing under the bonnet if that makes sense while too much utility can feel quite boring depending on the audience and it sometimes isn't engaging enough depending on what stage this buyer is on so i would be asking questions about the target audience and making sure that all those ideas will fit together to help the client achieve what they ultimately want to achieve
1: wow was a great episode thank you Robert and Yakemi for joining us on the podcast and for giving us the benefit of your wonderful insight you know my chat with Robert really enforced why magic recession or not is such an important part of your relationship with your clients or customers magic is the way marketers can communicate their message or product to others in a way that's memorable and a way that really sticks in the brain Brand marketing elevates your brand in ways that probably can't be measured by stats and figures. But when times are tough or when times are tougher and there's less money to go around, it's even more imperative the message you've delivered is received and remembered. That's the business case for magic. Conversely, however, utility is the foundation. Didn't surprise me that Yukami identified the head of ruling the heart because customers ultimately want to be served or receive something that has value or is valuable. And as marketers, we need to be able to demonstrate results too. That's why utilities become more important for everyone. And I suppose that brings me on to the final point. And again, it's something Yukami told me. And it's kind of something we all know but often we forget. It's all about the customer. It's so easy to either be self-indulgent and focus on magic or, you know, be unimaginative and focus on utility. marketers need to stop considering what they want and think about what the customer wants. When you know what the customer wants, that's when you can determine how to balance utility and magic. That's the key. Thank you very much to everyone that's joined us on this season of Marketing Trek. It's been a very different type of season. Uh, in the day job, we've been really busy, which is why you've only had my voice, I'm afraid. But hopefully next season, we will bring back the amazing Simon Corundon. Um But we've been, we've been busy doubling and then doubling again. And unfortunately, Simon has been doing the heavy lifting. So that's that. I want to say some very quick thank yous. I want to say a big, big thank you to the team at One Fine Play who have helped me me, uh, produce this uh, season without them it literally would not have existed so Kaz, Connor, James thank you very much for your amazing input and for making this easy to do. Thank you for the team at Turnmill Studios where this podcast has been recorded and and thank you to all the amazing guests who gave up their time freely in many cases quite a long time ago because I hit a buffer. I I had to go to 1-5 Play and ask them to bail me out of the trouble on this one. But anyway, we made it. The season is complete. Thank you very much indeed to everybody who made it possible. And we'll see you next time. I am deeply grateful to you for listening to this episode of Marketing Trek. I know your time is extraordinarily precious because mine is too, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would be very grateful if you would please subscribe on whatever your favorite channel is, but I'd be even more grateful if you'd write us a review. If you don't want to do that publicly, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes at Selby Anderson. Please send me a connection request and please send me a message and I would be delighted to receive feedback, both good and bad. This podcast was recorded at Terminal Studios. You can find that at terminalstudios.co.uk, and the show was produced by Selby Anderson. You can find us at selbyanderson.com. Thank you.